Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. I've just got to just give a special thanks, not just for that anthem that we just heard, but also for the offertory anthem. Let me ask you this. How many of you all who maybe grew up in the church remember that song from like youth group days? I mean, I'm talking about my generation, yeah, the Gen Xers in the crowd. We remember that one. That's, that's maybe a, a song that we heard in camps or heard in Sunday school or in you know, in one of those one of those times in our lives that were very formative when we were back when we were teenagers. You know, and I just I just love it when I hear a song like that from the you know from the eighties or the early nineties that just sort of connects me back to that point in my life. You know, music has a strange power to take you back, almost like a like a time machine, if you will. And I want to say that I've always been kind of a word-oriented Christian. But one thing I've discovered over the years is that music has had an important part to play in my spiritual life. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Before the age of 25, how much of your theology did you learn from music? 10%, 20%, about half, most, between camp songs and vacation Bible school songs, Sunday school songs, hymns, how much did you learn from music? I bet that most of what we learn as Christians, at least the stuff that sticks with us, we learn through music. I mean, think about it. How many of the first Bible verses that you ever memorized, if you've done that, came through a song? They came through a chorus. They came in some way accompanied by that. You know, I, I think that most of the Bible verses, and definitely the first ones I ever learned, I learned through songs. And I don't know about you, but I learned my first profound and basic theology in songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, right there is the doctrine of Scripture. Or he's got the whole world in his hands, the doctrine, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Just those really simple little songs that convey deep, powerful theological points. Well, theology, the words of faith, tell us the truth. But when you add music to it, well, the music tells us how to feel about it. Think about the soundtrack of a movie. It's summertime. I, I hope that maybe you'll be going to the beach or to the coast or something like that. But think about the movie Jaws. The movie Jaws would be a beautiful cinematic piece about a lovely coast and a beautiful water, if not for that soundtrack. I mean, think about it. It's not until you hear the familiar, dun 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 up until then, it's all sunny and clear and everybody looks great, but then we know there's trouble in the water. Music goes along with the words. It goes along with the facts to tell us how to feel about them. Music is part of our lives. You know, many of us talk about having a theme song or a playlist. How many of you have a playlist? Maybe a playlist that calms you down or that you use to work out with or that fires you up for everything from housework to exercise. Maybe you've just got a Willie Nelson playlist for driving around in the country. But what is your love song, for example? What's your song as a couple? What's your fight song? What is it? What's your prayer song? You know, music is native to the worship of God. It's, it's woven into the very fabric of giving glory to God. 
But sadly, as powerful as music is, we've often trivialized it. We use music simply as entertainment or as background noise or as advertising shtick. How many of you have ever seen a golf ball commercial where the guy takes a putt and all of a sudden you hear the hallelujah chorus in the background? I don't think that's why it was written. And yet, like all of God's gifts in the world, music's power is often perverted. You don't have to listen to the radio long to hear that music is the primary weapon used to make the perverse seem glamorous and exciting and appealing. Music is often used to ridicule religion or morality or patriotism or productivity while glorifying drugs and destruction and drinking and revolution and sexual promiscuity. And yet, in spite of all that, music is a gift of God. And John Calvin once wrote that, this, that music has a secret and almost incredible power to move the human heart. He believed that the plain truth of the word of Scripture should be central to the worship of God and to the Christian faith and shouldn't be obscured. But he also believed that music could help impress that truth on the human consciousness. You know, after the first London performance of Handel's Messiah, George Friedrich Handel wrote this to his patron, his sponsor. He said this, I'm so sorry, my Lord, if I have only succeeded in entertaining people. I wished to make them better. I wished to make them better. Often if we, when we speak of music, we talk about its beauty or we talk about its energy or its timeliness, but rarely do we speak about its power to shape us. Songs shape us. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. How has music shaped your faith? How has music influenced your life, and particularly your life of faith? How has it comforted you? How has it inspired you? How has it led you astray? Or how has it led you to God? Well, this summer, we're going to be talking about the way music shapes our faith and specifically how the songs of Scripture shape us. And our hope this summer is to introduce some new songs to the playlist of your life so that you'll be shaped by them. So today, we're going to talk about how the song of one young woman shaped the song of another young woman 1,100 years later. Our scripture reading for this morning is the song of a woman named Hannah, found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let, no, not, let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. 
The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, and against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Hannah was a Hebrew woman in the days of the judges. And if you read back into the story just before what we read, you'll see that she was heartbroken because she didn't have any children. Even though she had a kind and a loving husband, she was taunted and she was shamed and she was bullied mercilessly because she was barren. It turns out that people back then were not any less mean than they are now. But in her desperation, Hannah went to the tabernacle, that great tent of the Lord, the portable temple of Israel, and she pleaded that if the Lord would give her a son, she would dedicate her son to a life in God's service. And the Lord heard her prayers, and he honored Hannah's request. And she gave birth to a boy and named him Samuel, which means God hears me. God hears me. True to her word, Hannah dedicated Samuel to a career of serving the Lord and returned him to the tabernacle after he was weaned. She visited Samuel yearly and made him a new coat each year, watching him grow. But her story in the book of 1 Samuel is followed by this remarkable prayer that we read this morning, this remarkable song in which Hannah praises the Lord for his holiness, for his omniscience, that is his all-knowingness, his sovereignty, his compassion, and his justice. But I want you to notice this. It wasn't enough for Hannah simply to say thank you to the Lord. She had to sing. There is none other, none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. There are, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him, Actions are weighed. God had not only given her a son, but he had put a new song in her mouth. God had not only given her children, but he had silenced the people who had shamed her. To her, the Lord had defended her, even as he defended his people of Israel. And in that, he showed that he cared not only about the great nations of the earth, but he cared about her. He cared about this one daughter who'd pled with him, who'd cried out to him. 
who needed him. God not only cares about the great nations of the earth, he cares about the lives of his children. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Hannah's song is about a God who not only set the world on its pillars, but who cares about her and cares about her grief and cares about her shame and cares about her life. This is a song about a living God who answers prayer because he cares. It's fascinating that Hannah's faith was forged in grief and not in easy blessing. You know, the best choruses are always forged in crisis. The harder the life, the more appreciated the blessing and the sweeter the praise. As Elton John once said, sad songs say so much. And after all, where would Taylor Swift be if she hadn't had so many bad breakups with boyfriends? But broken hearts are like broken ground in which the seeds of grace are often planted. But Hannah didn't allow her song to become an angry rant. Instead, she humbled herself and turned her life into a song of praise. So Hannah is known for two things. She's known as the mother of one of Israel's most important prophets. And she's known for the fact that she wrote a song that reverberated for centuries. 1,100 years later, another young woman was in crisis. Her name was Mary. And her problem was different. Hannah had suffered from harassment and shame because she wasn't able to have a child. Mary's problem was not that she was barren, it was that she was pregnant in a way that no one would understand. Now, we know Mary's story, that an angel of the Lord came to her and told her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And as we know from the story that was shocking. That was unbelievable news to her. Once the angel had explained how this was all possible, however, Mary finally just wrapped her head around it and surrendered to the Lord's will and said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She surrendered to God in this incredible event. But if you look at the rest of the story in the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that after the angel's visit, Mary went and spent three months with her cousin Elizabeth and with Elizabeth's husband, the priest Zechariah. And we know that even though Mary was faithful and grateful, I guarantee you it took lots of conversations with Elizabeth and Zechariah and lots of time to process, to ponder, to wrap her head around what was going to happen? 
It took her time to ponder what it meant for her, for Joseph, for her family, for the people she loved, and especially for her unexpected but miraculous child. Would she be in danger? Would she be harassed? Would she be condemned? She had said yes to God, surrendered to God. I am a servant of the Lord, but what now? Well, at some point during that three months when she was visiting Elizabeth and Zechariah, the words of the ancient song of Hannah, a song by another woman long ago, spoke to her. Whether Elizabeth taught it to her or whether it was a song that every hopeful teenage Jewish girl just knew by heart, the words of Hannah's song resonated with Mary. And then Mary wrote a new song, her own song. We call this song, Mary's song, the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's fascinating if you take the Magnificat of Luke, of Mary, and take Hannah's song and put them side by side. The similarities are striking. But Mary's song doesn't duplicate Hannah's song. Instead, she paraphrases it. She takes Hannah's song, the song of a young woman in crisis, and made it her own. Think about this. The Lord gave Hannah what she asked for. But the Lord gave to Mary what she never asked for. She too would bear a child for the sake of Israel. And she too would have to give him up for the sake of the world. Both of these songs speak to humility and brokenness. Both songs speak to trust in God. Both songs start in surrender. I give up. I can't do it, Lord. I can't do this on my own. But both end in celebration. And both songs worship the God who loves us and who makes himself known even in our brokenness, sadness, and confusion. And we see how the song of Hannah shaped the faith of Mary. So stepping back for a second, how do the songs of Scripture shape our faith? There are lots of ways that songs can shape our faith, but I want to highlight just three of them this morning. For one thing, songs can give us knowledge. They speak to us and they teach us about God, about the truth and the content of His Word. I talked about that earlier. The first theology we learn, the first Bible verses we learn, we learn through songs. And the songs of Scripture, not just the Psalms, 
not just songs about Scripture, but all of those songs, like the song of Hannah, peppered throughout the canon of Scripture, teach us about who God is and about what is important to God and who we are. The songs of Scripture teach us many things, but they taught Hannah and Mary two foundational truths. Hannah's song reminded Mary that history shows that our God is a God who keeps his promises. Having made the promise, he will keep his covenant. And it also reminds, Hannah's song also reminds Mary that history shows that God cares and he's present with us. These are facts that these songs teach us. The songs of Scripture also provide resonance. Now, what is resonance? Resonance is that quality where the vibrations of one object begin to vibrate with the same frequency and note of another. Think of a tuning fork that begins to hum when the same note is struck on a piano or guitar string. In human terms, we call resonance in empathy. It's when you can actually feel someone else's sorrow or joy or fear or courage vibrating in your own spirit like a big bass note on the organ. Really good songs connect with our reality, don't they? Think about the stories behind songs like Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton about the tragic death of his three-year-old son who fell out of a window. Think about the, uh, think about our hope in the midst of grief behind the song, It Is Well With My Soul, about a pastor's family who died in the great Chicago fire. Or think about the overwhelming joy and gratitude behind those familiar words of amazing grace written by a former slaver named John Newton who could not believe that God would care about somebody like him. You know, sometimes you just hear a song and it hits you right here and you feel it even though you've never met the songwriter and you just say, this artist gets me. They feel me. I'm seen and I am heard. When we read the songs of Scripture and we feel the same joy or fear or the same encouragement or truth, that's the Holy Spirit resonating in our hearts, letting us know that the stories and the complexities of those people back then were as real as the stories and complexities of our lives now. Mary heard Hannah's song and realized that Hannah was scared too. But she also remembered that God cares and that he understands what we have to go through. That song connected them and it connected them to God and it helps us to see what, that we are not alone and that God gets us. But the third quality of the songs of Scripture is the quality of articulation. That means that the songs of the saints say what we need to say when we don't know how to say it. They give us words to pray when we don't know what to pray. In the songs of the saints, the Lord gives us the tools and raw materials of prayer. The power of of music is at its most sublime when God uses it to express that which we cannot express in words alone. 
You know, often we sing things that are too hard for us to say. My grandfather and I were very close. And I remember when he died. I just went numb. At his funeral, I was stone-faced until the organ started playing and 750 people started to sing together, a mighty fortress is our God, a a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And when I heard that congregation singing, I finally wept right there in front of God and everybody because that hymn said the things that I wanted to say but I couldn't say myself. And just as Luther declared that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the army of the Lord, so my heavenly Father finally broke open my heart so that my grief could turn into joy. The songs of the saints are the sheet music They're the songbook that gives us the chords and the lyrics that God has provided to carry us along when we need a song either to sing or to hear. Saints of the past minister to us through their songs. Those songs remind us of God's truth. They're the voice of Jesus cutting through the noise of the storm saying, be not afraid. They sing songs of grief and it resonates with our grief. They sing songs about fear and it speaks to our fear. They sing songs about temptation and it opens our eyes to our temptations. They sing songs about doubt and it awakens the truth about the Father. They sing songs about joy and comfort. They sing songs about victory and celebrations. They sing songs about love and romance. They sing songs about life and resurrection and grace. They sing about God's glory, His eternal worth, His grace and affection and we join the chorus so what's on your playlist what is on your playlist part of the series or part of the goal of this series is to introduce or reintroduce you to some of the songs of the saints in the hope that it will whet your appetite to learn more and here's the point We don't want you to just study these songs. We want you to sing them. These songs are a gift of God, Isaiah says. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Today, as we gather around the Lord's table for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, it's a good time to point out that singing is not a sacrament, but singing is sacramental. There's something visceral, something physical about singing. More than just thinking, more than just pondering, more than just talking or writing, that involves your heart, your lungs, your mouth, and your mind. That's why Isaiah says it so vividly. You have put a new song in my mouth that my lips should proclaim your praise. 
like this sacrament that we will enjoy together. Singing is a way to taste and see that the Lord is good, that his steadfast love endures forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, when did we lose sight of the variety of your gifts? When did we become convinced that the the heart of belief is just what we know, not what we sing, not what we feel and sense? Lord, help us not simply to read your word or know your truth, but to sing it not only so that others may hear it, but so that we may ourselves hear the power and the glory and the transformational influence of your grace. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord gave us singing to give us something that we could feel to give us a way to, pro to proclaim his light and his truth in a way that goes much deeper than simply our minds, but goes all the way into our bodies and into the depths of our soul. Singing is one of the ways that God makes his own truth real to us. And of course, the way that God makes his truth real is through the sacrament of Holy Communion. As our Lord was preparing for his own death, he sat at table with his disciples and he gave them something that they could hold, something that they could taste, something that they could see and smell so that thereby they would know that his love for them was as real as the bread that they saw before them or the cup into which he poured the wine that they would drink. He wanted them to see that his death his body broken and his blood poured out was as real for them as was all of that and that those things reminded them and us that God's love for us is that real, as real as the bread that we hold and the cup we bless. It is not simply a reenactment of what he did, but by his Holy Spirit, Jesus does something in the sacrament of Holy Communion. And even though he is bodily with the Father at his right hand, we are lifted into his presence, into this sacred mystery, so that we know by his power, by this bread and this cup, that he is real. Therefore, taste and see that the Lord is good and that his steadfast love endures forever. And so he invites to this table all who are baptized in his name, and all who follow him as Lord and Savior and who are disciples of Jesus Christ. He calls us to this table, not because we're worthy, but because we are loved. We are not here because we are righteous, but because we are invited. We are here because we are forgiven and we are loved. And God wants us to know that his Love for us and the death and resurrection of his son is as real as the bread that we put in our mouths and the cup that we bring to our lips. 
And so we come to this table, not simply to check a box or to fulfill an obligation, but to receive a gift, the gift of the reality of his grace, this reminder, this sign and seal of his covenant love for us so that we will know that his love is something that we can hold even as his love holds us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together around this table, draw us into communion with you and into community with each other. Open our eyes to what is represented here. Open our eyes like the eyes of the men on the road to Emmaus with Jesus were opened when he broke bread and they saw who he was. Help us to see you and to see Jesus and to see your love demonstrated for us as we celebrate together here at this table. We pray that, that you would go before us and help us to serve together. Thank you that you demonstrated your love in that while we were still sinning, you sent Jesus to die. And in the power and authority of his death and resurrection, you call us to live and to serve. And as we serve together, we, we pray for those in, in our community that are in need of your healing touch. We all have someone on our heart and our mind that has that need, and we lift them up to you. And we pray that your grace would be sufficient for them and that your healing power would be the authority in their lives. We pray for doctors. We pray for family members who come along beside them, serve them, and work with them, that you would give them strength and wisdom and comfort and grace. And Father, we also lift up those who have lost loved ones. We pray that you would just bring the truth that even though they grieve, they don't grieve without hope because the power and authority of Jesus' death and resurrection points us to a day of resurrection even for those that have died and those that we've loved, and those that we've lost. And we understand that they're not lost, they are with you. So we pray for your grace and strength to work miracles in our hearts and minds as we walk through that valley of the shadow of death. Father, we're thankful for this church. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to live and work and serve together. Continue to open up doors for us as we have sent mission trips out this summer, as we have opportunities to partner with local and global missions. We pray for your continued guidance and direction in everything that we say and do. And today we ask your blessing on this bread and this cup and pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would bring us spiritual nurture as we participate in this communion together. We're thankful 
that your love is available to us and again that you demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ, broken body and blood shed for us that we could have forgiveness, we could have eternal life and we could have abundant life. Be with us today. Meet us where we are and move us to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. As it was given unto me, so now I give it unto you. That on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he sat at table with his disciples. And after supper, he took bread and he gave thanks. And afterwards, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared and he is calling for you.
Beloved, this is the body of Christ, the bread of life, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of him. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it and do this in remembrance of him. And if you would, please stand. And if you would like, take the hand of those who are standing next to you. And let us pray. Oh Lord, we have gathered around your table this morning because sometimes we need more than words. We need music. We need the sacrament. We need the bread and the cup to remind us that your love for us is real. We need for your scripture and for the songs of the saints to say things that we don't know how to say and we need to be led by your Holy Spirit to pray things that we don't know how to pray. And so, so Lord, we thank you so much that in your word and by your Holy Spirit, you give us all the tools and the raw materials we need to give you glory and to find comfort and truth in your sovereign grace. Lord, as we have taken these these ordinary things and set them aside to an extraordinary purpose. We thank you that together this bread and the cup are the sign and seal of your covenant love for us. And we thank you now, O oh Lord, that not only do we have the privilege to pray, but we have the privilege to sing the words that your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, taught us to pray.
Thank you so much for being here with us today, and I hope that today and in the weeks to come, the Lord will put a new song into your mouth and into your heart. But now as we leave, would you please raise your hands to receive this charge and this blessing. Now go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.